Welcome to How We Grow, an essential playbook to grow and scale your vacation rental business with advice and insights from the best in the biz with your host, Linnell Gordon. Welcome to How We Grow, the vacation rental show. I am very honored to have a friend of mine today to join us. Steve Schwab is here and Steve is the co-founder of Tassago. And oh my goodness, there's so many things that I could say there. I mean, Steve, anybody in the vacation rental industry, they do know who you are. And tell me just a little bit about how you got started so that everybody can, can know kind of where you came from. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's such a pleasure to see you and really appreciate the time we're going to spend together. My background starts probably in the Army. I was a part of the Presidential Guard and then tried out and made it into Ranger Battalion. Spent some time there and got out, went to college. And at the end of that, uh, of my four years of college, I went down to Mexico for just a few weeks was the plan and never came back. I ended up with meeting a gentleman named Bruce who was going to crawl up on a roof. I offered to do that. I'd done a little sheet metal work in high school. I was having some air conditioning issues, crawled up on that roof and helped him out a little bit. Next day, he showed back up again. Did a little bit more work, didn't take any pay. Finally had dinner with him and his wife, Cindy. Didn't hear much from them after that. And I heard that Bruce had passed away and took him pretty quick. And so his wife, Cindy, said, hey, Bruce thought you'd be pretty good at this. I'm like, oh, I'm not really a maintenance guy. I'm going back to law school. and I'm becoming an officer in the military. She's like, no, you know, actually running the business. And I said, well, I'm even less qualified for that. So I went down, looked at the numbers. It had the whole business had made $35,000 a year before. Wow. And that's more money than I'd ever made in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and off I went. And mm. so, big pivot into the vacation rental world. There's a little company called Cindy's Beach Rentals. Had just a few properties, and a lot of them had been uh, lost after Bruce passed away. The, the field work wasn't getting done. And I found the paperwork about everybody who had left the company in the back. And I called them all back up and said, Hey, my name's Steve Schwab. I'm a 28 year old kid. I have no idea what I'm doing, but if you give me a chance, if I mess it up, I'll make it right. <laughs> and almost all of them came back. And that first season was first season in vacation rentals. We only took cash. And suddenly I'm in Mexico with, uh, Tens of thousands of dollars of cash buried in the walls of my wow. little tiny apartment. Wow. I had to figure out how to drive it back across the border and pay my homeowners. So that's kind of how it all happened. So you founded Pasago. This is the beginnings, what you were talking about. But you guys have like over 40 like cities that you're in internationally, right? You have like over 4,000 vacation rentals. You may have more right now. I mean, I'm, I have old information for that. You've moved into a franchise model. Yeah. But there are other businesses that you're involved in and that you've been involved in that are growing, that are everything you put your hand to has seemed to really grow very well. I don't know how much of that you're interested in, in bringing out. I know that your team, I mean, your team was recently named as among the top 250 companies at the forefront of the short-term rental industry. And you really are changing the way that things are done. I tell this story about Steve when I'm telling people what I do in the industry, some of the things I do is there are people such as this in our industry. I told this to a guy in the hills of Italy. He is a manager, very smart manager. And I said, but you know, I said, 
the thing that friends of mine have done in the industry that is so impressive is they've created culture to the point that their employees are buried in their uniforms. And that's Casa Go. I didn't tell them who it was. But I mean, that says a lot for your care of the people around you. So this whole podcast is focused on helping other property managers to grow. What advice would you give to property managers who are looking to grow their business? Yeah, gosh, there's so much, but I think that focusing on other things besides of the growth are the seeds that are planted to be able to grow in a healthy way. Making sure that you're providing a quality service to your homeowners and a quality product to your guests, which means you have to be in partnership with your homeowner to make sure that that home is a fantastic product and to the quality you want. Making sure that you start treating your employees and your teammates in a way that makes them feel part of the process and then getting them aligned, making sure that you have a common language. If you have the type of social norms in which you can be intentional with, and that means that you're going to curate that on a daily basis. And, you know, really a different word for social norms is culture, right? So people kind of talk about culture like it's a, uh, it's this sort of mythical vaporous thing that happens inside of a company. And it's really not. It's just a matter of being very intentional about what we do and what we don't do, communicating that daily. And when you do that, your team knows what a good decision looks like because they know what your values are. They know what your principles are. They see you practicing and promoting what happens there and what you'll permit. That all forms an ecosystem in which those good decisions start to happen in the absence of leadership. And we're in a service business. And unlike, say, a software business, you can just turn on another iteration of your software and scale it. With a service business, you have to have people who are making fantastic decisions in which you cannot stand over their shoulder and make sure that's happening the way you want it to, right? So those good decisions have to happen without you, have to happen in the absence of your leadership, even have to happen in the absence of your upper management's leadership. There are teammates in your company who are out in the field with maintenance, they're out in the field in housekeeping, they're on the phone with a homeowner when you're on the phone with somebody else. They have to understand how are they going to make fantastic decisions without you. And when you can scale those good decisions, you start to build trust because now you can start to trust this team to operate without you. And once you get that trust going and the scale of good decisions, you start to get empowerment. You can give your team agency. And at that point, the scale becomes automatic. You'll find yourself growing. You'll find yourself with a lot lower churn. And just by the act of lower churn, because your homeowners stay with you, your team stays with you, the growth starts to happen organically from all those seeds you planted at the very base of the foundation of what you do. How do you train them to do that? Well, there's lots of different ways, right? But one of the reasons why I talked about being Army Rangers, that's where I, I got my systems and leadership from. I was failing at the beginning of this business. We'd taken over several projects at once and the team wasn't ready for it. They were a bunch of good people. We were understaffed. We didn't anticipate it. You know, the main competitor left in the middle of the night paying anybody's statements, not paying his owner's bills, not paying his employees. It happened all at one time. It was 
the day Saddam Hussein was captured. So suddenly we have more inventory than we can manage. It was kind of an emergency situation. We were hiring on people that I couldn't speak into and bad decisions were being made and we were failing. I mean, it was really disheartening. And up to that point, we were kind of the hometown kids with doing all the good stuff with a small team who I could curate decisions with and have good conversations with. And, my, and you know, the, the extent of my leadership had really just been small teams. And I remember it was a mess. The company was a mess. And I, uh, I sat on the beach in Mexico, wondered what I was going to do. And uh, well, why is this failing? And every other organization I've been part of, whether it was president of attorney or a ranger battalion, they all had this common creed, this piece of paper we'd read every single day or memorize. And I was like, well, maybe that's it. And as going through this as, as a level, you know, enlisted guy, I never had to sit down and write it out. It had already been done hundreds of years in advance, some of it. And so I wrote our own and we started talking about it every single day. And it had to evolve and I had to learn through it. But it was really what I found was it was really a set of principles I'd written. It wasn't our values. I, I did it backwards. I didn't have any training in this. I was kind of fumbling my way through it. But I wrote all these principles, which were just these basic rules that I believed if we could, if these rules were followed, people could make good decisions based on them. And they were honoring values that I hadn't quite put to words yet. But I could feel them. I just didn't know quite what they were, or at least in the words. And so that's how we started our culture. And that was the beginning of being intentional because every company has a social norms and they have culture. It's whether or not you're creating it and you're doing it intentionally or the person in the desk in the corner who's disgruntled is doing it. It's a constant wrestling match for your social norms and culture on a daily basis. And putting it on a poster on the wall won't get you there. It's got to be well curated on a daily basis with what you practice and what you promote and what you permit within your organization. So let's give everyone an, an example of what we're talking about here. So when we're talking about the type of culture, you're talking about treat your homeowners well or you know something along those lines. We're going to do our best by our homeowners. We're going to treat our guests as XYZ. That type of thing that you're talking about, here's how we behave our guests and owners? Yeah, it's so like in our credo, the very first sentence is, I am the owner's advocate. Oh. And so when I asked my team, as we're walking through a session, I was like, were you the owner's advocate in that decision? Were you making decisions on their behalf, in their best interest, in their absence? And they have to be able to answer me, yes. And you know in your heart if you're really making a decision based on what's best for that homeowner in their absence. Because at the end of the day, the reason why the entire world isn't self-renting owners is because there is a group of people within our industry who own properties in a place in which they cannot manage, whether that's physical location or time. Mm -hmm. And they've got an asset that they're unlocking un unused potential in, and they want somebody who's a local advocate of theirs to act on their behalf in a way that's best for them that helps create that value, whether the value is, you know, property care itself, you know, taking care of the asset, whether it's the revenue, whether or not the peace of mind of the having a local uh, relationship that's there. These are the types of 
value that we offer. And for us, that's the, that I believe that's one of the reasons why we maintain inventory growth organically. So are you the owner's advocate? These are the sort of things that we have discussions about on a daily basis. You know, is, you know, the renter is my personal guest. I'll treat them with genuine hospitality. Well, what does genuine hospitality mean? Because we talk about this every single day. You watch the team kind of at first go through it and then they sort of have heard everything. And then we're calling on them to come up with something new and you start watching them make really interesting and sometimes profound discoveries about the words themselves. And often through a situation we're going through, what does genuine hospitality mean? Well, suddenly we have a situation in which somebody may not have had a, a good stay because of a, of a breakdown at a property. And they see that if they, were, if they were genuinely hospitable to these people, they made sure that they were seen and heard and they felt welcomed and cared for. And suddenly it changes the situation around. And really what starts to happen is the team goes from compliance to conviction because they see that it works. And when they start seeing that these basic principles work, they become believers and it starts to become part of that social norm where you start to hear your team talking about it when they don't think you're around. And when they don't think that you're around and they're, they're talking about the credo or they're talking about the principles and holding each other accountable, you've gone to that next level of you know what's going to take to lead. Built by property managers, for property managers. Streamline is a powerful software that gives managers enterprise-level capabilities to drive more revenue and improve operational efficiency. Migrate into Streamline allows property managers to gain functionality while reducing the need for multiple vendors, improving flow by logging into a single system and reducing redundant technology costs. With Streamline, property managers achieve revenue lifts by leveraging our fully-fledged communication center, reservations quoting system, revenue management tools, homeowner acquisition CRM, and powerful direct OTA connections. Streamline also has industry-leading trust accounting and report capabilities to give you clarity in an overall company performance. Learn more about Streamline Vacation Rental Software at StreamlineVRS.com. So I think that when you do what you're talking about, you create a culture that's so ingrained. And the culture is not just any culture. It's a culture that, like you say, is the best in the best interest of the homeowner and in the best interest of the guest. You can't go wrong with that. You can't because you grow. And that is like the type of growth that you have there. You, you teach people to make decisions the way you would make decisions. So one of the other major components of your growth when you're doing it that way, Steve, is the ability to allow other people to make decisions when you're not around. And tell me a little bit about that, because I know that in business, a lot of us like our employees, you know, we've hired them, but how do you have that confidence to walk away and say, okay, I know they're going to make the same decision that I would make, or at least one that has a healthy respect for the culture that we've created. I was the only dad at the playground running around behind my kid, trying to make sure he wasn't going to hit his head on anything because he was bobbling around. And my dad said, you're going to have to let that kid fall off the curb so he doesn't fall off the cliffs. I thought it was pretty profound. And it translates to our teammates too, right? Giving them small tasks, helping them grow, allowing the company to be imperfect, 
allowing small mistakes to happen to learn from is the only way you're going to be able to trust them to not fall off the cliffs, right? So your team is going to make mistakes and you build with them over time. You know, you don't just bring somebody brand new right out of high school and give them an entire resort to run. They're not ready. It's you bring them into the culture. You put them into into the front lines. You let them get the experience. You let them watch the decisions that are being made. You have the discussions with them every single day. You have you introduce them to a team that has these social norms. And you start giving them tasks and you start giving them their own missions and you start letting them make decisions. And honestly, some people will never get it. Some people just aren't there. You can coach them towards the goal lines that are just going to consistently run off the sidelines. And that's okay. That means they're not part of that culture. And part of your culture is also being an immune system. It's uh, making sure that people that are aligned with you have a place and the people who don't have a you know, aren't aligned with you, can find a place that they belong and it may not be with you. So small steps into trust and agency as your teammates grow and progress. And as we grow and as there's opportunities, I always be very clear that we will bring you along to the level in which you are prepared to lead. So if we're growing into a bigger organization and you're not preparing yourself to grow into a position that's a larger organization or more responsibility, I can only bring you as far as you'll prepare yourself to climb. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty important to say early. Yeah. That self-development and self-responsibility is going to be a part of your career, not just based on time. I love to pr- promote from within. We try to make sure that the team grows you know, organically. Mm-hmm. However, if some people aren't ready for the next level and the company has grown, I can't promote them into failure. Right. No, no, no. So it's important. Yeah. So that's a big part of what we do. So tell me your favorite owner or guest story. I know I always default to homeowners, which is just part of my mindset. But I have this homeowner who's been with us for... 22 years now. So I've seen his children grow up into adults of their own, been to one of the weddings, uh, watched him become a grandfather, and met the whole family, been over for holidays. But it started with a really bad situation. And we didn't get along at first, and we were struggling. And we'd made some mistakes. The team hadn't handled it well. I was responsible. He made sure to let me know. (laughs) (laughs) He's a very straightforward man. And I was pretty young and we were uh, really struggling with this. And I think he was planning, well, I know he was planning on leaving the company early and we sat down to meet. And as we got to know each other and I just was honest about, yeah, we messed up. I am sorry. I understand if you want to leave, but if you won't leave, here's the things that we'll do. I will make sure it's fixed. I'm going to make it right. And trust happened. And suddenly you got to know me and know that what we meant was the very best for him, even if the execution was flawed. Mm -hmm. And he Mm -hmm. found that he could trust us. And he found that we were honoring our word. And if we made a mistake, he could call us and have a conversation. And I took a personal deep interest in him and make sure he was okay. And this kind of went back and forth. But Because of 
us failing in the beginning, it gave me the opportunity to build a relationship with them that I wouldn't have had if we went to the failed. And there's something called the uh, service recovery paradox. Tell me. Yeah. So the service recovery paradox is where the company hadn't failed in the first place. You'd have never had the chance to have a rebuilding relationship that actually creates a better relationship than if the failure had never happened at all. So often we have a lot of people go through our business and that reservation cycle, I see the reservation cycle kind of in a circle, the perfect circle, everything goes absolutely flawlessly. And then you go to rebook them and this happens over and over and over. And sometimes that circle just gets, gets off track and suddenly squiggly and it's all this kind of becomes this big mess. And at those moments, we have the chance to build relationships that right. we would never get to be able to build in a perfect uh, environment. So Absolutely. that's the yeah, service recovery paradox. And okay. we talk a lot about that. So it's important to be able to recover from that. I think that's one of my favorite examples of a lot of the multi-decade homeowners that we have is when things have gone wrong, mm-hmm. that was the chance to show them who we really are. It's not just a business. It's, you get to have honest conversations and trust building. And so I think that's one of my favorites. The other favorite may be a woman named Sally who was in Mexico. And she had family and friends and neighbors there. And she got into a fender bender with a, a local from Puerto Pinasco. Mm-hmm. And the, the police show up. She's surrounded not in a bad way, but she's got, you know, four or five police cars there. Not in a, not in a trouble way. Yeah, I know. I should I can be careful with my words in Mexico. Get, get myself in trouble. She's just in this situation where she doesn't speak the language. Oh, yeah. She's surrounded. It's confusing. And she called us to come Oh, up my with. goodness. And wow. I always think about, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like, when I get pulled over by the police, I don't think about calling my vacation rental property manager. I think about like, I need to call a lawyer or I need to call, I don't know, somebody, but not us. And so she called us. And I remember Carmen, who's been with us since the very beginning, she looked at me and she goes, Sally and Stan have been in a car wreck. They're not hurt, but they need our help. And, you know, let's go. Suddenly she's surrounded by all these Costco uniforms and we're negotiating. We call one of our teammates who's, Uncle is the police chief. We have the police chief down there. We get it all figured out. We get everybody, we get it sorted out. We get her on our way and get it all taken care of. But she was really nervous. And I think that our relationships with her built that trust where when we're doing something for her, that's not just business. It's kind of a love letter to our homeowners, right? Yes. No kidding. For sure. Yeah. And then that's beautiful. her calling us back when she's in trouble told us that, yeah, she sees us as more than just somebody who changes light bulbs, cleans toilets, and makes reservations and pays her taxes, right? This is a love letter back to us. Oh, for sure. And she's been with us ever since. And does that mean our relationship has been perfect? No. No relationship is, whether it's your love life or your friends or your business relationships. But when she calls us, every time she calls us, she's like, she gets hold of me personally still. And she's like, you know, she's like, hey, Steve, I got charged for this cleaning and i don't think it was cleaned well enough i'm like yep sally i hear you no problem i'm gonna take care of it but you know she's very particular about her property but i will tell you this that she never calls us to fire us and she calls us 
to have a discussion about the situation because she trusts that we're acting on her best behalf. And that's a love letter back to us, right? That's a love letter to us saying, I trust you guys. Oh, yeah. I'm here with you. And I understand that you're imperfect, as am I. And I'm here to fix it and not to fire. And I think these are the sort of ways we build these multi-decade relationships with our homeowners. You know, that's that's how it happens. And that's how growth happens. That's a beautiful story. And I think it's interesting that no matter how large you've grown, and I know you're very busy because of all you have to do, as you grow, I mean, there's a level of business that happens that you have to hire people to help you if you're going to succeed. But no matter how fast you've grown in these these last few years, I know that for your friends and for your homeowners, you're always there. You can text. You don't. That's always impressed me about you, Steve. Let me ask you this. For those business people, uh, business owners looking to expand across multiple destinations, based on your experience and the lessons that you've learned, what advice would you give them? Well, before you expand to another market, make sure you've dug your well very deep in the market you're already in. Okay. If you have the chance to grow one market twice as big, instead of having two smaller portfolios in two separate cities, you're Uh. better off digging deeper and building your inventory in one place before you go to a second place. Make sure you understand why you're doing it and make sure that your well is very deep and very established where you start your base of operations before you start just growing for growth's sake. That's very good advice. I hadn't thought about that. That's very interesting. Would never have occurred to me to think about it that way. Yeah, there's a lot of people grow at multiple markets. I'm like, why? You know, what's your plan? Well, just on one other city. I'm like, why? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not twice as hard. It's uh, four times as hard. Ooh. So, yeah, multiply every new city with a difficulty factor of four. Wow. So one times four is four times harder. Two times when you go to the third one, you know, you're 12 times. It, gets, it, it becomes quadratically harder for the first 10 cities. After that, you can start to get some scale and efficiencies and you're, you're going to have to build a team. Change the way you completely operate your business from a leadership point of view because you're no longer going to be the hero with 100 minions. You're going to have to be the leader of multiple organizations that have to be self-sufficient in your absence. And the cost of that is going to be dramatic. You're going to go backwards in profit. You're going to go backwards in quality for a while. You're going to go backwards in efficiencies, as opposed to having one city with 500 properties, having Five cities with 100 properties is much less profitable because you're duplicating on-the-ground resources. And also be aware that your time with your family is going to diminish. And that's been the hardest part of growing my business is the cost to personal time, you know, the impoverishment of time with my family. Mm -hmm. I think that anybody in business has to really consider that. That's why I was single for so many years when I was building my business. I mean, it you don't have time. I mean, you that focus is taken there. Well, I really appreciate you being here. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention to people, advice that you'd like to give them? If I within our industry, if I could give one piece of advice, I would say be a good actor 
and be a good neighbor in your community. Our industry is in a battle for its soul and its reputation. And we, as the vanguards of the industry, need to be responsible for the future and reputation of it. And we need to hold others accountable to make sure that the way in which our industry is perceived by others is a good one. And it's a direct effect of the regulation we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So please be good neighbors, be good stewards of your community, love your community, don't use your community, and the industry will have a fantastic future. I love that. Well, thanks again for coming and for being a part of this. I really do appreciate it. I know you're really busy. And I mean, literally, you got up at you got up at oh dark thirty to come, so I'm uh, because we're in such different time zones. I really do appreciate that. Thanks, Steve, for being here for for caring enough about the industry and about others to take the time to really be frank and honest and open about the way to grow a business. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode of How We Grow is brought to you by Streamline. To find out more about how Streamline can help grow your vacation rental business visit StreamlineVRS.com. Make sure to search for How We Grow in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. On behalf of the team here at Inhabit, thanks for listening. <laughs>